Well, we are uh, continuing in a series in the book of Ezekiel, this uh, series that we are calling Visions of Hope. You see, uh, the book of Ezekiel is perhaps one of the most bizarre books in the entire Bible. Uh, my guess is, is that it's not one that you ever really studied in Sunday school. Uh, my guess is that many of us haven't even studied it in a small group or an adult Bible class. And the reason why is because at first glance, it truly is strange. It's a book that's filled with all kinds of harsh words and condemnations. It's also a, word, a book that's filled with really bizarre images of thrones uh, basically being uh, pulled on chariots by giant monster things with many eyes. It's a really bizarre book. And many people said, what possible reason are, could we be preaching on this? What possible relevance does this have for us today? And yet what we have seen as we've gone through this series is that actually found within the pages of this very, very uh, ancient text are some very, very modern words of comfort and visions of hope. Words that we need to hear, especially in a world that feels like it is constantly changing a world in which we constantly feel like we're off balance and out of place. Because Ezekiel was a prophet who was sent to people in exile, people whose entire experience was constantly off balance and out of place. And as we've been moving through this book, what we've seen is we've actually seen that what these visions ultimately point us to is just who God is. We saw in the very first week that in moments when we feel like God has abandoned us, we actually find that God is with us even in the midst of exile that he never abandons his people. And then last week we saw that even though we're a people who often look for love in all the wrong places, God is the God who deeply loves us no matter what. And this weekend, uh, we're gonna be talking a little bit about leadership. We're gonna be talking about shepherds and leaders and, and what does it mean to truly uh, be, uh, to have good leaders and to be led well. But I think it's only right that before we take a look at God's word together, we allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Lord God, we give you thanks for this day in which you have gathered us uh, together out here in your creation. Thank you for the beauty of the work of your hands. And Lord, as we now come before your word, Lord, we pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us and lead us, that you would give us open hearts and minds to understand the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are in Ezekiel chapter 34. It was uh, just read to us a moment ago. And what we find is that uh, God is speaking to the shepherds of Israel. But he's not actually speaking to literal shepherds of sheep and goats. You see, the, this image of shepherds was a very, very common one in ancient Israel. It was used to refer to their religious and political leaders. That the kings were called the shepherds of Israel. That the, that the priests were called shepherds of Israel. That the prophets were known as shepherds of Israel. And in a, a time when many people had flocks and herds, uh, they would have understood what that meant. That the role of the shepherds was to look after and care for the flock. To defend it and to protect it. To lead it to places of food and good pasture and fresh water and so on and so forth. And so it was an appropriate and fitting metaphor for people who were placed in positions of authority over others. King David himself was a shepherd and often thought of himself as the shepherd of God's people. 
And yet we get to Ezekiel 34, and this is what God has to say. He says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed those who are ill, or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. You see, in Ezekiel's day, what had ended up happening was that the shepherds had forgotten what their first calling was that they were called to care for God's people. They bought into the belief that the flock existed for their benefit rather than them existing for the flock's benefit. This was seen in the various uh, levels of corruption that were being experienced uh, within the halls of power in Jerusalem and in Judah. This was being experienced in the ways in which even the wealthy were exploiting the poor in which those who had none, even what they had was being taken from them by those who had power. And you see, this is a temptation that isn't like anything new. This is something that we've encountered all the time. In fact, I would say it's a very, very contemporary problem in which we see that the moment people have positions of authority and power, what do they do with it? Well, they often use it to line their own pockets, to advance their own careers, uh, to make sure they have a leg up, often at the expense of those that they're called to lead, those that they are called to care for and to develop. I mean, honestly, if you just do a quick Google search of the uh, wealthiest congressmen and women, what you'd find is that the top 10 uh, congressmen and women don't just, aren't just valued in the tens of millions of dollars, they're actually valued in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And lest you think that I'm being political, let me tell you, those top 10, five of them are Democrats and five of them are Republicans. I'm not kidding you. So apparently this is a truly bipartisan issue, okay? Now, I'm not you know, going after wealth per se. What I'm going after is the fact that oftentimes though, when we find ourselves in positions of leadership, we suddenly begin to think that everybody else who's beneath us exists to serve us. This isn't a problem that we just see in the halls of Washington. It's a problem that we see everywhere. It's a problem that we actually see even in the halls of the church, where we have pastors who abuse their power and their privilege in various ways, where we find guys using church funds to buy private jets. I haven't done that, by the way, okay? You can ask our accountants. But, but it's not a new problem. It's actually, it's a temptation that every single person and leadership encounters the moment that they have roles and positions of authority. We tend to think that, again, the flock exists for us. Rather than recognizing that leadership is a position of servanthood, that we're called into it to benefit and to bless others. And oftentimes, when that happens, what we end up doing is thinking, well, then all that we really need in order to solve this problem is to get the current leaders out of their positions of power 
and then we can take their place. We tend to think that, that we actually have the ability to lead better. This is, I think, part of the reason why we have such a problem with leadership in our country is because they say, okay, well, we'll just swap out the leaders that we have, and then if, if we have the power, we have the authority, then all of a sudden all will be well. But what's fascinating is what Ezekiel then says a little bit later on in the text. Because not only does he have wor harsh words for those who are in positions of leadership, he actually has harsh words for the sheep. Notice what he says a little bit later on in Ezekiel 34, verse 17. He says, as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of, your pa of the pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clean water? You must also muddy the rest with your feet. Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting at the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. You see, we have this phrase in our society today in which we say, well, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But what Ezekiel is saying, what God is saying through Ezekiel is he's like, power isn't the problem. It's actually us who are corrupt. It's we who are corrupt who absolutely corrupt power. The problem isn't necessarily with power itself, nor with positions of authority, nor with leadership per se. The problem is in every single human heart. Every single one of us is like a sheep who has gone astray. Isaiah says it very, very well. He says, every single one of us are like sheep who've gone astray, each of us to their own way. The problem lies at the very core of our beings, of who we are. This explains why power becomes one of those things that is so often and frequently abused. It's part of the reason why we see today's freedom fighters become tomorrow's tyrants. It's part of the reason why today's Jim Halperts become tomorrow's Michael Scotts. That's for the fans of The Office. It's part of the reason why our coworkers, when the moment they become managers, become terrible bosses, and we have to make comedic movies about them, just to assuage our feelings of being slighted. Why is that? Well, it's because every single one of us is a sheep. Every single one of us is a goat. And if you know anything about and, uh, sheep and goats, what you find is not only are they very, very stubborn, they're some of the most self-centered animals on the planet. I remember one time when we were uh, living in St. Louis, we went to uh, Grant's Farm. I don't know how many of you have been. Anybody been to Grant's Farm in St. Louis? Okay, a couple of hands. Grant's Farm is this, is this giant uh, farm. Uh, it's almost like um, an amusement park at this point, owned by the family that owned Anheuser-Busch. You know, it's a big, big uh, farm. This is where you can see some of the Clydesdales, you know, the Anheuser-Busch uh, Clydesdales. And uh, they have, uh, when you, you go on this kind of tour around the grounds, there's all these like crazy and exotic animals on the property. And then when you get to the end, you can kind of go into more of the amusement park area. And one of the things that they feature is they feature a goat feeding pen. And the whole idea is, you know, you pay a couple bucks and you get this little bottle of milk, right? And you can like feed the little like the little uh, baby goats and, and sheep and lambs and things like that. And everyone's like, oh, it's so cute. Let's get our kids little baby bottles and we'll put them in there and then they'll, they'll feed the goats. And, and, and 
you know, Jenny and I didn't know any better. This was our first time to Grant's Farm. All the other parents were doing it. We're like, let's do this. Let's buy some. We'll get the little bottles, and then we'll, we'll let the kids, you know, feed the goats. And, and little Abby and Evan, they were really young at that time, were just like, yeah, this sounds fun. Let's do it. We want to feed the goats. We want to feed the goats. I was like, okay, now do you want to feed the goats from outside the pen or inside the pen? They're like, no, we want to go in. We want to go inside the pen. The moment we get in there, can you guess what happened? My children disappeared under a herd of tiny goats because they were attacked by the tiny goats who were so desperate to get the bottle of milk in their hands. And these baby goats that looked so cute when you're outside the pen were suddenly headbutting each other and kicking one another. And so I, as this dad, I'm going in there and I'm throwing goats and sheep, you know, just to try and find my kids. And I'm hurling them over my shoulders and like shoving my way past. And now my kids are all sad and upset. And it's because I didn't understand something that Ezekiel understood. And that is that goats and sheep are incredibly selfish. They don't care about the rest of the flock, not at all. When the wolf shows up, do they band together? No, they run for the hills. When they're suddenly threatened, what do they do? Do they use their horns to defend one another? Absolutely not. They use their horns to butt one another out of the way. The moment it's chow time, it is every goat and sheep for him or herself. And what he's saying here is he's saying, look, it's not... It's not power, it's not leadership, it's not authority that's the problem, it's us. Every single one of us has within us the seed of the will to power. Every single one of us has a temptation to abuse the authority that we've been given. It's a problem with our hearts, not the position of our offices. And so the question becomes, where do we look to find true leadership? Where do we turn when we in this society are so desperately in need of guidance? Because Ezekiel is right when he says, without a shepherd, my people are scattered. Without leaders, they're fed upon by those who would prey on them, by the wild animals and the beasts. Where do we look to for good leadership? Which is why Ezekiel 34 says something so beautiful. He writes the following. He says this. I myself will, will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God tells us that he himself will be our shepherd. That one day he will come as a true king and show all the other pretenders in the world what, what a real shepherd does for the flock that he loves. Which is why it's no surprise that this is one of Jesus' favorite images when he talks about his own ministry. At one point, after people had been watching him teach, watching him lead, 
watching him heal and bind up, people came and asked him, who are you? And he said this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold, and I will bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus says, I am the true shepherd, the one who ultimately will do anything for the sheep that he loves. Going so far as to lay down his life for them. It's a beautiful promise in a world where we've been failed by our leaders. We wonder where we can look to for true guidance. Jesus says, I'm the one who will do anything to give you life and hope. I was talking with Pastor Mark uh, about this passage. We were getting ready to preach this, uh, uh, this passage uh, together. He's preaching online. And he actually shared a story about a time when he was uh, working in uh, Lutheran school ministry. And one of the things that he would do is he would often take these, uh, these middle school kids uh, from the inner city and he would take them to a farm for a retreat. And uh, they always went at a time of year when uh, the new lambs were being born. And it's an opportunity for these city kids to learn a little something about farm life. And sure enough, on one particular retreat, they get there and he's talking to the shepherd. And the shepherd says, "Uh, yeah, I actually think that that you over there is about to give birth. I think you guys are going to have an opportunity to see a a newborn lamb uh, today. And sure enough, in about a half an hour, half an hour later, this this, uh, sheep, this ewe, uh, ends up giving birth to a little lamb. Now, typically when a lamb is born, the first thing that it does is it begins to bleat. It begins to make noises so that its mama knows where it is, and mom will come over and clean it off, and then it will nurse, and then the shepherd will help it get on its feet and start to take its first steps. But not this time. The little lamb came out and just lied there. No sound. Wasn't breathing at all, and so the shepherd runs over, just springs into action, he starts to kind of clean off its face and its muzzle, and and it, it still doesn't take a breath, and he starts to basically press on its sides and hit its chest, and essentially performing kind of CPR on this little lamb, no, no response. And finally, he gets down on his hands and knees and he puts his mouth over this little lamb's muzzle and he starts to suck the mucus out of its nose and mouth. I know, it's disgusting. And that's exactly what these inner, school, these inner city kids uh, thought. They were sitting there going, ew, that's gross, it's disgusting, why would he do that? But then, after a few harrowing moments, suddenly the lamb begins to make noise. And it gets up. And its mother comes over and nurses it. And the shepherd comes over to the, to the fence and he says, you know, do you kids have any questions? And the kids are like, why would you do something so gross? And he says, it's because that little lamb is precious to me. And I would do anything to help it breathe again. And then he said, and that's exactly how Jesus feels about you. He would do absolutely anything to get you to breathe again. He would do anything to rescue you, to save your life. That's the reason he came. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. 
It's something that we sang just a few moments ago when we were singing Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. God's desire for us is that we would be, fill, that we would be filled and protected. That we would experience the abundance that only he can give. But then he also says this, even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil for you, my shepherd, are with me. Because God's promise is that even when life isn't going well, I will never, ever abandon you. I will lead you through. I will lead you out into green pastures and quiet waters. And the reason that we know that's true is because that's exactly what he did. That when we, selfish though we are, faced the valley of the shadow of death, instead Jesus faced it for us. He went to a cross willingly. He opened his hands to receive the nails. He laid down his life for the sheep that he loved, that we might breathe, that we might have new life. But then he took his life up again. He rose from the dead and he says, look, not even death can separate you from my love and my presence. And I will be with you wherever you go. And so in this world, when sometimes we feel as though we're abandoned, when it feels like there are wolves on every side, moments when we feel like our leaders have failed us and we don't know where to turn, the promise of God is that I am with you and I will lead you. And we can trust that wherever he calls us, he will also go there with us. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you are not like the hired hands, but you are the good shepherd. That there is nothing that you are not willing to do for your sheep, but rather you lay down your life that we might live. Lord, we pray that that would indeed comfort us, that we would turn to you to guide us, that you would indeed be our shepherd in all of life's seasons, wherever we go, and that when we hear your voice, we would follow you in faith, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.